I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Paul's Gospel to the Romans. Paul's, I call it Paul's Gospel because it is just so shot, shot full of gospel truth, and we've already looked at the gospel truth of justification in previous chapters, and now we're at the gospel truth of sanctification, where God is making us increasingly step by step in the likeness of Christ. And Romans chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading to verse 14 because it sets up the question of verse 15. We'll read through the end of uh, the chapter. Romans chapter 6, let's begin with verse 14. Paul makes a promise, for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and uh, to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's ask his blessing. Father, we now come to your word, and we thank you that you've given it to us, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to, to hear it and see it and love it and, and be transformed by its power. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 2009, a man named Simon Sinek wrote a leadership book that quickly became a classic. The title is Start With The Why. I'm sure some of you read that. Start With The Why. He argues that there are two ways uh, to influence human behavior, uh, manipulation or inspiration, manipulation and inspiration. And of the two, he argues, inspiration always produces better and longer lasting results. Uh, You can manipulate someone or even coerce someone to uh, do something, but the desired behavior will be grudgingly given and will usually stop as soon as the manipulation or coercion stops. It's one of the reasons that um, many kids stopped going to church when they head off to college. The the coercing force has been removed from their life and so they no longer feel uh, compelled. They They were not inspired. True transformation always happens by dealing with the why. Why? And that's a great reminder for us because as Christians who are striving to live the good Christian life, a life honoring to the Lord, we easily and generally start with how. How can I, um, how do I break this habit? How do I have a better marriage? How do I, 
help my kids to, to behave and believe? How do I live this God-honoring life? I remember someone uh, once coming to me after a sermon and just saying, just tell me how. Uh, just, just, just tell me how. Now, those aren't bad questions. Uh, it, it's just not the right place to start. Paul will get to the how, but he gets to the how in chapter 12. He starts with the why. Why not sin that grace may abound? You can say it positively. Why bother with obedience? Why strive for obedience? It's very hard. It's very depressing at times. Why worry about it if we're actually saved by grace? He starts with the why. And as Christians, uh, we're going to find that the why is very, very inspiring, very encouraging. So important for us to remember that the discussion of sanctification in the book of Romans, and this is true of all of Paul's letters, only happens after the conversation about justification, about the gospel. About, and Paul here in the book of Romans, he'll do in Ephesians as well, um, where he'll, he just begins by explaining the great human crisis and then the great gospel answer for it. The great human crisis, of course, being that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that no one is righteous, not a single one. If you were someone off the street and you walked in here this morning and you looked around, you would say, wow, these are really righteous people. And the fact, of course, is that no one is righteous. In and of themselves, not a single one of us have attained to the standard of the law of God, not a single one of us. And so that's the great crisis, not just of the world, but uh, every single person, including ourselves. And the gospel message, of course, is uh, that God has intervened, not in judgment, but in grace. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ uh, to, to you and, and, and to sinners like us, people who cannot fix ourselves. Have you ever tried to fix yourself? Make yourself a better person? Commit yourself to always do the right thing? Yeah, how did that go? We can't fix ourselves. We need intervention. We need outside help. And the gospel, of course, is God has done exactly that in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has not come alongside to help us fix ourselves. Jesus has come along to solve the problem. Jesus has come along to atone for our sin, to remove our guilt, to make us right with God, robe us in his righteousness on the basis of which we are declared all by grace through faith to be innocent before the court of heaven, to be right with God and heirs of heaven. That's the gospel. And now having been justified by grace through faith once for all, God now begins this process of sanctification. Because sanctification, you see, is God's work of grace in our life where he is transforming us so that we look more and more like the people <clears throat> that we actually are, saints of God, children of God. And Paul um, begins this conversation, uh, this discussion of uh, sanctification, in um, using a conversation that he would often have with Jews. You see, <clears throat> the Jews were convinced that sanctification was necessary. They just were also convinced that it was the law was the means by which people grow in holiness. That's why God gave the law, right? To shape, to make you do better. God gave the law to help you realize what you're doing wrong and to tell you what you do right. And uh, the law is like a stepladder and you just need to get on it and start walking. 
Well, they're convinced not only that that's the means that God has given for holiness, they're also convinced that Paul is undermining the law uh, and any motives for obeying the law. Because Paul is going around telling people that they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works of the law. That Paul is, is telling people that they can receive all the blessings of God, all the riches of, of heaven, everything that God promised to Abraham, that you can have that apart from, your apart from obeying the law, apart from being under the law. You can have it freely as a free gift. Even when you're dead in your sin, even when you're buried under sin. Well, if that's true, if, if, you, if you get heaven without without, um, by grace alone, as a free gift, I mean, why would anyone be concerned about godliness? Why would anybody bother with obedience? Why? And it's essential for us to understand Paul's answer. He doesn't answer by saying the law still stands and we're still required to obey it. It's not how he answers, right? He would agree with that. The law is good, Paul says. But that's not how he responds. You see, that's not, that doesn't get to the why question. The fundamental why of why Christians obey the most, at, the, at the most fundamental level is not because the law still stands. Paul goes to something else. What he goes to is our identity. He goes to who we are. We are no longer in sin, but we are in Christ. Our, our identity is different because our, sta- our, our status before God has changed. We are now in Christ, not under the law, but we live under grace. In other words, God doesn't respond to us according to our law-keeping or our failure to keep the law. God responds to us according to His grace-giving. And that's the foundation for a life of obedience. That was verses 1 through 14. That's how Paul responds. Again, I don't, I don't want to uh, act like Paul's an antinomian, as, as though Paul doesn't care about the law. He, he does care about the law. But when he comes to the why should we obey, it's now where he starts. He starts with your identity. And in verse 15, he's going to continue on that because the question comes up again where he's, he's just made this bold statement, we are not under law but under grace, that, that the, the principle whereby God deals with us is not a law principle but a grace principle. And so the question the Jew is going to throw right back at him is, well, then why bother with obedience? What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Why obey why worry about it? Why bother with the struggle? Let's look at Paul's answer. First, we're going to look at the question, and then secondly, Paul's confidence, and then thirdly, God's call. The question, and then the confidence, and then the call. The question, as I just read, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? It's a very simple question, easy to understand why it would be asked if God really does deal with us according to grace. Apart from work of the law, then why worry about obedience? And it's a common temptation for people, you see, to, to act as if grace means you're never having to say you're sorry. Grace means uh, you get to live your life basically as you choose. I mean, under the, the broad rubric of 
Christianity, but you get to live your life without having to worry about judgment. Uh, there are all kinds of people in America who, who call themselves Christians and yet believe that grace means uh, that God just loves them and God just forgives them and obedience is just not high on the list of priorities in their life. It's, it's I mean, they're, they're good people. Sure, they, they mess up from time to time, but all in all, they're, they're, they're fine and, and God thinks they're fine. God thinks they're amazing, actually. And um, and so holiness and striving for obedience is just not high on the list. Well, that, that's a misunderstanding, you see. Grace does not mean we don't have to worry about obedience. Jude, in his letter, speaks of people from the beginning who, he says, pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I've had conversations with people who were absolutely convinced they were Christians, and yet their life was... was completely outside of the bounds of the will of God. And they did not see repentance as, as being important. So Paul, Jude would say, well, that's, that's just denying our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul goes beyond that, and Paul helps us to see that that lifestyle where uh, if you make that decision, you're just in bondage to death. 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Let me just break that down into a few <clears throat> basic uh, truths of life. One is there are only two options when it comes to your moral life. Sin or righteousness. Those are the only two moral options. There's no amoral option. There's no middle ground. You're either in sin, right, or you're in righteousness, and that's because of the reality of God himself. If, because there is a God who made you, made me, because there actually is a God to whom we owe <clears throat> allegiance and obedience and worship, the only two options then in standing before the face of God is to obey him or disobey him. That's it. Right? O obedience or lawlessness, sin or righteousness. So, so, so those are the only two options. Secondly, you're a slave to the one whom you choose to obey. If you choose to live a life of sin, Paul says, then you're a slave to that master. It owns you. Its categories belong to you. So if you choose a life of sin, then the categories of condemnation and death belong to you, or you belong to them. <clears throat> and Paul uses the category of slavery intentionally. It's not a pleasant category. Our own country obviously has a horrific history of slavery, but slavery is common all over the world in Paul's day particularly. Uh, everyone would understand what he's talking about. Some people would choose slavery <clears throat> in order to pay off debt. Some would be born into it. Some would be forced into it because they were conquered. But it doesn't matter how you became a slave. The principles are, of slavery are the same. You see, slavery is a matter both of status <clears throat> and submission. Status and submission. To be a slave means you are not your own. You belong to somebody. They own you. 
That's status. And you must submit to them. You are required to live for their agenda and their purpose according to their will. They own your time, your strength, your gifts, and you are obligated as a slave to serve them at their will. That's what it means to be a slave. It's a perfect description of a life of sin. Uh, People always think, we even think that we're sinning as free agents. People think they're sinning or, or choosing a life of sin as a free agent, and in some ways they are. Um, if you choose to live a life of debauchery, a life of unbelief, uh, you are choosing that. No one's holding a gun to your head. And we choose that life because we like that life. That's why sinners choose to sin. But, but there's also slavery going on here. There's a master. Paul talks about sin as this dominion, this power, this, this reigning, ruling force. And people are in bondage to that power by, by nature, by birth, right? By fallen human nature. Everyone is born under the power of sin. And we're unable to free ourselves. So way back in 1525, Martin Luther writes, the bondage of the human will. And he writes that to show that the, the Roman Catholic system, isn't, it can't work. The Catholic system of, of, of salvation is God sort of gives you grace to help you make yourself worthy. And, and Luther comes along and says, well, that doesn't work because the human heart isn't just sick in need of some help. The human heart is in bondage. It only wills left to itself. It always wills and only wills what is evil. And it chooses destructive things over and over and over and over, even knowing that those destructive things will kill them. Right? Whether it be uh, a, a drug addiction, whether it be an illicit relationship, uh, whether it be uh, you know, stealing things from work, people will, or, or maybe a gambling habit, or, or maybe just a lying mouth, or God, whatever it is, people will be caught in these patterns of sin. They know it's wrong, they know it's destructive, they know it's going to bring great devastation in their life, and they keep choosing it. And we've all been there and done that. Why? Because that's the power of sin. That's what sin does. And, a, and a, a, the, the individual cannot break himself out of that bondage, will not break himself out of that bondage unless God intervenes. God alone can break those chains through the grace of Jesus Christ. So, so you're a slave to the one whom you obey. And we'll talk more about slave to righteousness in a minute. Third, Paul just wants us to see that our choice has eternal consequences. A life of slavery to sin leads to eternal death. If you choose rebellion, you choose unbelief, you choose immorality as a life commitment, as a lifestyle, you've chosen a path that will lead to hell. That's what Paul says, leads to death. Conversely, a life of obedience leads to righteousness and to everlasting life. And so the master you choose to serve will determine your eternal destiny. Now, before I move on, I need to quickly clarify, because Paul is not saying here 
that every time a child of God chooses to sin, they are making themselves a slave to sin. Okay, that's, so if you read this thinking, <clears throat> when I choose to sin, I'm making myself a slave to sin, and I'm in danger then of eternal death. It's not what he's saying. It's not true. And we need to remind ourselves it's not true because it feels sometimes like it's true. Haven't you ever felt like you were a slave of your desires, a slave of your sinful flesh? You know what you ought to do. You know what God commands you to do and what God commands you not to do. But the desire is strong and you end up choosing specifically what God forbids and and you feel helpless. I can't imagine there's a Christian who does not know what I'm talking about. Not if you're actually engaged in the battle. It, at times it feels like your desires actually do have mastery, if they, like they do have dominion, and you wonder, maybe I am a slave. But see, that's not how Paul talks about a Christian. And, and, and let's look at how he talks of the believers in verse 17 and 18, the confidence that he has. Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You see, Paul just wants to remind his readers of who they are. If they have come to Christ in faith, this is who they are. A Christian, by definition, is someone who was once a slave to sin. Once, in the past. But having been set free from sin has become a slave of righteousness. That that's, something happened in their life and they were brought out of that bondage to sin and brought now uh, and, and made a slave of righteousness. Paul says it again in 22. A Christian has been set free from sin and has become a slave of God. That's a wonderful term. A slave of God. You see, that's true by an act of God. That's true by the power and grace of God. That's why Paul begins by saying, thanks be to God. God did this. God God does this when he saves people, when he converts people. He, he, He breaks them free from the bondage of sin. Just like he brought Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. That's that's a perfect word picture. Israel was helpless under the power of Pharaoh, and yet God, by his own mighty arm, brings them out of the bondage of Egypt, and God does the same thing in the life of a sinner, where he brings us out of the bondage of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he makes us his own possession. God did not just bring Israel out of Egypt. God brought Israel to Mount Sinai and made them his people, and that's the same thing that he does in the life of a Christian. You see, friends, God is in the business of setting people free and making them his own. Jesus says as he begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And what is the good news? He sent me to, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The gospel is a message, friends, of freedom, of liberty, where God rescues sinners from our self-chosen bondage where God sets captives free. And and, and the Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you are what? Free indeed. 
And so don't let your feelings, right, create your theology. Let the Word of God uh, mold your and form your theology. Let, let the Word of God, uh, as it comes through the mouth of Jesus, if the Son sets you free, friend, you're free. You are free indeed. Now that you're, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're no more a slave to sin than Jesus is a slave to sin. You're free. Doesn't mean you're not going to deal with sin. You will. Doesn't mean you won't feel the tempting power of sin. You will. Doesn't mean that from time to time you will fall into grievous sin. You will. But you're not a slave to sin. You don't belong to sin. It is, not, it, it is not your master. It's not your ruler. You belong to God and you are free in Jesus Christ to move and grow and walk in newness of life. That's the gospel. And that's true all the time, you see. Whether you've just fallen into a grievous sin or not. You don't yo-yo between masters. Today I'm a, a, a slave to sin and tomorrow I'm a slave to righteousness. No, no, you're, once you're set free, you are free indeed. You're free forever. And you're free to walk in a new life. That's, that's what God promises to us in Jesus Christ. Second, just notice that a Christian not only has been set free to live in righteousness, a Christian will want to live in righteousness. That's why Paul says that, that he delights that these believers began to obey from the heart. From the heart. You see, the, the Jews were good at uh, observing the law and, and saying things with their lips, but God would say, their hearts are far from me. A Christian is, is, is someone who desires obedience from the heart. It, it's, it actually becomes increasingly what you want to do. If someone would ask you at the end of the day, way down deep, what do you want? Do you want just to serve your flesh? Do you, do, do you want just to, 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 to sin against God? At, at, at the end of the day, is, is that really at the bottom what you want? And you see, and a Christian will say, no, at bottom, it's not what I want. My flesh wants it. But in my heart, I, I want to obey God. In, in my heart, I, I, w- I would love to please God. I would, I would love my life some way to count for God. Bottom, bottom line. You see, a Christian has a hunger and a thirst for righteousness so that they, they grieve their sin and they hate their sin because... The Spirit of God has created within you a desire for obedience, a desire to glorify God. Bottom line, that's what you want. And friend, if that desire is in you, that desire is there by the Spirit of God. You didn't create it. The Spirit of God has done that work in you. Third, notice a Christian gladly accepts the Word of God as the standard for obedience. So Paul says that they were became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, Christian obedience is defined by Scripture, the commands of the Word of God. At the end of the service, we're going to sing the song, Flee from Sin. It says, God calls all of His children to obey, to live a life in submission to His Word. That's the call. Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, but our Lord, and this is His Word. And this Word is authoritative and definitive. You see, we have to stand and speak this today because there, there increasingly are people who, who do not believe this is true, professing Christians, who, who, who act as though they can sort of pick and choose the things that they're going to submit to. 
And we just have to say, if, if, if you profess to be a Christian and yet you're not willing to submit to the standard of teaching that's in the Word of God, you're not really a Christian, or at least your profession lacks credibility. Maybe you are a Christian and God is just going to bring you to repentance, but you don't have a credible profession if you say, I love Jesus, but I'm just not crazy about this. I'm not crazy about His Word. I'm, there's some commands that I, I just disagree with. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. A professing church that ignores or denies the clear commands of Scripture is not a Christian church, or at least it doesn't have a credible profession. And there again, we just have to stand today in all the confusion of our cultural moment and just say, if, if you are a professing Christian or a professing Christian church, <clears throat> and you reject what the Bible clearly teaches about human sexuality, specifically about the sin of homosexuality. Now again, all have sinned and fallen short, every single one of us. And Paul has showed us in chapter 1 that, that uh, homosexuality is, is a, just a, a, an external physical symptom of an internal spiritual idolatry. And we've all committed idolatry, spiritually. All of us. So this isn't a point of finger at anybody. This is just to say this is what the Bible says. And in our cultural moment, we've got incredible confusion about that. And, and people professing to be Christian and yet ignoring the clear commands of Scripture. It doesn't work that way. Rosaria Butterfield is a wonderful example of someone who once lived a homosexual lifestyle, became converted, and now freely acknowledges and submits to the Word of God. And she's speaking great truth in our day. Now, of course, there's a thousand different ways we can deceive ourselves. It's not just that sin. What about the sins that we, may, the commands we maybe choose to ignore, the things that God says about materialism, the things that God says about coveting or self-will or failure to love others, even our enemies, or gossip, or what about what God says about heterosexual immorality? You see, anytime we ignore what the Bible says about our sins, well, we're doing the exact same thing as the church promoting homosexuality. We're we're committing the same sin. We're failing to submit to the standard of teaching. That's why none of us this morning um, has a right to boast. But a Christian, a Christian hearing God's word will submit to it by the Spirit of God because a Christian is a slave of righteousness. A Christian, when the word of God is, is spoken and applied to your life, a Christian, by the Spirit within you, will, will have a lean to submit to it, to, to say, yes, Lord, I hear it, Lord. I believe it. I acknowledge it. I confess it. I want to be free from it. You, you see, because you're a, you're a slave to righteousness, you're a slave to God. That's what Paul says. And that, and that slavery to righteousness that involves status and submission. Status, we've, we, we belong to the status of the righteous by as a free gift, right? Robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the categories of the righteous belong to us. That's our status. But we also then submit Gladly submit to the standard of righteousness. God's word actually functions as the authority, 
And when it says, right, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet, do not commit adultery, when it says those things, we don't just sort of hear that as religious dogma. We hear that as the voice of our master speaking to us. And we say, yes, Lord, forgive me. I want to submit to that. I want my life to be free from that. Take away the love of that. And that's because we're a slave of righteousness. It's what the Spirit does. So how do we live? Well, the call, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul reminds his readers of their former life when they presented their members of their body to, as slaves to impurity. So they, they presented their mouth to gossip and cursing and lying. And they presented their hands to stealing and, and, and hitting and, and, uh, and, and worshiping false idols. They presented their sexual organs to immorality. They, they used their mind and their eyes and their ears for lawlessness and all of it led just to more lawlessness. Sin works like that, doesn't it? <clears throat> the path of sin keeps leading you deeper into guilt and deeper into shame and deeper into despair and ultimately into death. That's, that's how it works. It's, the, it's what Paul says in 21. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's where sin will lead you every time. A life of sin. But the opposite is also true that, that, that just as sin is a downward spiral to death, the path of righteousness is a path to sanctification in life. Verse 22. Now that you've been set free from sin and, and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul's point is this, just as you once presented your mouth and mind and sexuality to serve sin, now present those same things to serve righteousness. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mouth be filled with praise and prayer and thanksgiving and encouragement and blessing. Use your mouth for the glory of God. Give your hands to blessing other people and providing for the needs of those God has given to you. Give your sexuality to God, either by chasteness as a single person or by faithfulness and love to your spouse. But your sexuality belongs to Him. Give your eyes to see the goodness of God in all the things that He's made and, and to see the needs of those made in His image. Give your ears to listen to the Word of God and, and to hear the cries of those who hurt. Present the members of your body as slaves to righteousness and watch God transform your life. It's not gonna ha he's not just going to snap his fingers and you're going to be a new person. God calls all of his children to obey, to, to submit to his word and to, to give the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. And through that, by His grace and by His power, God sanctifies you. And God leads you into the paths of righteousness. And God leads you into eternal life. All by His power, not yours. And all is a free gift, not a wage. I'd like to preach a whole other sermon on this next verse, but we won't do that this morning. <clears throat> For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The free gift of God. See, friends, there are two options for every man, woman, and child. You can have the wages of your sin. You can, you can, you can choose that, that door, right? I'd like the wages. I'd like what I've earned. Just give me what I earn. Give me what I deserve. You can have that, and that'll be everlasting death. Or you can have shame and guilt and despair and eternal death. I mean, excuse me. Or you can have the free gift. The free gift of eternal life, right? The thing that you did not earn. The thing that was freely given to you not, and, and you were not worthy of it, but it, it came to you by grace and grace alone. Those are the options. You can have what you deserve or you can have what God in his mercy and grace freely offers to you in Jesus Christ. What, do you, what, what would you choose? Well, who would choose this? Who would choose the wage? Friends, God calls us, invites us to day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, walk in the path of righteousness. The why being because that's who we are. The why being because that is what God has called us to. That's what God has saved us to. That is, that's living out our identity as we walk towards our destiny. If you're here this morning and you recognize that you've not been doing that, that you've been giving yourself to a life of sin, so thankful that you're here. God has called you and invites you today. Confess your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust that, the God, that God is able to justify you, washing away all your sin, and God is able to sanctify you by his same power and grace as you present the members of your body to righteousness. This is a gospel for sinners, friends for great, grievous sinners like you and me. Praise God it's sufficient. Praise God it's true. Amen. God in heaven, this is, these are deep truths and we can get lost trying to wade through it. I, Lord, I just pray that this simple truth of your gospel would, would, become, would be clear to us that you loved us when we were yet sinners and Christ died for us while we were yet sinners and, and you offer us, Lord, as a free gift of grace, a new life. As a free gift of grace, a new identity, a new status, that we are invited to be delivered out of the bondage of sin and we're invited into the household of God to be children of God and slaves of righteousness all by your grace and simply, Lord, by our asking and believing. And so, Father, I, I pray that for those who are, some of us, Lord, this morning are just buried in our sin and we maybe have given up hope. We're addicted to pornography. We're addicted to just going our own way, doing our own thing. We're, we have patterns of sin in our life that, that seem to be out of control and we've tried a thousand times to change and so there's a cynicism about us. And God in heaven, I, I just pray that you would show us this morning that what we've talked about here is it's not religious dogma, it's not theological instruction, it's It's life. And that any person among us who comes to Jesus, comes to a gospel for sinners just like us, 
And though the change, Lord, will often be slow and painful, it'll be real as we confess our sin and as we offer ourselves to you and as we believe what you've accomplished in Jesus Christ and who we are in him. And so, God, please give us the grace to believe the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond standing together and sing, flee from sin, run to Jesus.
receive the blessing. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.